0: Welcome to High Action. I'm Perry Smith. I'm Will Brom. I'm John Story, and together we're the New West Guitar Group. On today's episode, part one with the great Joe DiOrio.
1: A special thanks to our Patreon members and our sponsors who make this podcast possible. For more information on High Action and how you can get involved, please visit www newwestguitarcom highaction Hello everybody and
2: welcome to episode 49 We are very excited you are joining us again today I'm here with John Story out in Burbank How's it going John?
0: Going great man, beautiful
2: sunny day here today Will Brom also out in Los Angeles How's it going dude?
1: All is great
2: Getting ready great to come kind of visit life. you shortly Yeah man Long Beach, here we go.
1: <laughs> Famous last words.
2: Is, is Long Beach ready for the stream of arpeggios that we're about to uh, uh,
1: embark on? No.
2: No. It's not. It's not. <laughs> well, this is a really special episode for us because it's part one of a two-part episode that's going to conclude our first season here with the great Joe DiOrio. Uh, we've probably talked a lot about Joe Diorio on the podcast because he was the teacher at USC that John and I pretty much specifically went to that school to study with. Uh, it was very nostalgic, I will say interviewing Joe. He, um, you know he's always been a really supportive, wonderful, encouraging uh, mentor to all of us. And you can hear that right off the bat in the interview. He gives Will and I some really nice compliments and then he saves his glowing, gushing compliments for John towards the end. So we all felt really good in this episode, I think it's fair to say. And uh, just real quick, John, you know, what's one thing that you want the listeners to kind of understand
0: about Diorio? Yeah, just how special it is that musicians like him are still here and uh, that there's still so much to learn from someone like him. I mean, he's just the guru. I mean, yeah. how many people can, guitar players can say they recorded with Stunny Stitt and Anita O'Day and yeah. they're here. and and he's so giving, you know, he just is, he just yeah. wants to just give away everything as much as he can. And so for the listeners today, I think it's really cool to like tune into the words that Joe uses and listen to like his flow and how, his whole approach to life has just been informed by his incredible depth that he's gone with music, and I think it's something that all of us can really like look at and really strive for. Yeah, in our own life.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well said. And and Will, I know you didn't study with Diorio, but he knew uh, Eshday really well. Knows Eshday really well, and they have some recordings that maybe Ron has. So I put it to you, Will, to talk to Ron about getting these recordings out—the duos with uh, Diorio. That'd be pretty cool, huh?
1: Yeah, Joe. I mean, I've yeah, I didn't get to study with him, but I've watched. You know, he has some cool instructional videos that are on YouTube. Oh yeah. And um, and it's so funny because I remember watching those a few years ago and just hearing the lineage of his concepts in the new west guitar group like in the lines in the way everything's done yeah like part of like the timeline of of the new westification you know so it's it's really cool i mean it's
2: yeah know, definitely check
1: out those videos on youtube of joe if you haven't to any of the listeners because he's just throwing down
2: well thank you all for staying with us um this season it's been tremendous make sure to follow us on patreon for all kinds of instructional videos from the three of us Um, That's New West Guitar Group uh, on Patreon. Check us out. And please enjoy part one of this wonderful uh, episode, this interview with the great Joe DiOrio. Hello, Joe. This is Perry. Can you hear me okay?
3: Oh, oh yeah, I can hear you fine. Thank you.
2: Oh, it's so good to talk to you. How are you doing today?
3: Oh, I'm fine. But before I forget, listen, man, that album of yours is Unbelievable!
0: <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, hey, Joe, it's John Story here, too, man. Oh, John, my beloved
1: one. How are you?
0: Dude, I am so good, my maestro. It's so good to hear you, and I, this is so fun, and Will is here, too.
1: Joe, Will? nice to virtually meet you. Listen,
3: Will, let me tell you something. Your CD is sensational, too. I enjoyed the both of them so much.
1: Well, thank you. That's that's a big honor coming from you. Thanks. No,
3: no, no, man. It's so organized and so much rhythm, and oh, my God. you got a gorgeous little rhythm section there with those guys in the percussion, you know? Thank
1: you, man. Can I quote you on that?
3: Yeah, you can say say anything you like, man. It's beautiful playing. Your playing is gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. And Perry, uh, excuse me, Perry. Yes. You know, I I never heard you play like that. You're playing different,
2: huh? I suppose. I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of things... Well, this is a good conversation to have. Just, you know, we're... We're just kind of free-forming here uh, with this conversation today, Joe. And um, yeah, I you know, understand. Sure. One yeah. of the things that be interesting to start out talking about is just the differences between playing, uh, you know, solo guitar and approaching things yeah. maybe like in a duet versus playing with a band when you have to deal with, you know, the bass and the drums and. A oh yeah, yeah. It's a
3: different thing. Yeah.
2: Sometimes that stuff is different, but. Um, you know, certainly, I took your influence and tried to combine that with what I was picking up in New York. And you know, would you believe it? It's been ten years I've been out in New York.
3: Well, your soloing is changed a lot, you know, and it's so modern and so hip. And listen, is Melissa is this a girl on tenor, tenor sax?
2: It is. It is uh, a girl, a woman. Uh, her name is Melissa Aldana. She's uh, originally oh, from. My. From Chile. God, she's she's
3: unbelievable, man. Yeah, she's got that real that real she's heavy sound. Re- yeah,
4: yeah, yeah,
3: she's the real deal, man. She's so gorgeous. It's unbelievable. My God, does she know her instrument.
2: Yeah. Oh, and, my God. And that was just a live recording. So those were just the takes we did on the gig. Uh, and that particular gig I used to do uh, just about every week for about four years. And uh, oh, it was, it was great.
3: great. Yeah, it
2: was really great.
3: I tell you, Perry, uh, I think you I think every guitar player should have that, and yours too, Will. Well, thanks. You, 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 you guys, uh, you guys should be heard, man, uh, on a wider scale because it's just sensational stuff. I will tell you, man. I would just, I was thinking to myself, man, Joe, you better get on it, man. These guys <laughs> have, have, have left you in the dust. <laughs>
0: Oh, man, you, Joe, you, we
3: could never me... leave you in the dust, Joe. Oh, yeah, you're, I think so, man, because I was thinking, man, i got to get going here. Well,
2: listen, oh, listen Joe, you know, without uh, you, there is no us. That's
3: kind of how this oh, works. Oh, well, you're so so kind. You're so kind, man. But, you know, it's your talent. You guys put in the time and the effort and all that. That's what makes it what it is. It's, but thank you for for the compliment. I appreciate that. But I all praises to my God. That's how I look at it. Well, you know, whatever I gave, it came from Him, and that's it.
2: Well, we're really excited to talk to you today, Joe. Um, as yeah, I was, yeah, me too. Yeah, we wanted just to start out. I wanted just to ask you a few questions, um, just about Go what ahead. what life was like for you growing up in in Waterbury. I know you. I know you were born in '36, and so you're. The childhood must have been a lot of the late thirties, early forties. You know, what was Waterbury like back then?
3: Well, it was very quiet. You know, it's uh, nothing like uh, the world is today. It was, you know, Waterbury's a quiet town, and I happened to live in a very nice section. And you know, my uh, my I lived in my uh, grandfather's and grandmother's house on the second floor. I was surrounded with. Um, in my grandfather's gardens and this grape vine so I had all that beautiful nature around me when I was growing up. And then um, when I was about 13 years old I started to get interested in guitar but you will, you won't believe how I got interested in guitar. I I didn't I didn't go to the guitar because I liked the guitar. I went to the guitar because a friend of mine played the accordion. And I and I used to love the way he played. So I asked him one day. I said, "Well, what's a good instrument that goes with the accordion?" And his father was in the room as well. And he says, "Oh yeah, the guitar. You know, a guitar and accordion go great." So I says, "Good, I'll learn the guitar." That's, that's awesome. why. I, that's why I start playing.
2: I I know some yeah. of your early teachers. Uh, you credit. Three different guys. You credit Vincent Bradici, Freddie Bradici, and Tony Matola. Were these guys you were studying with in Waterbury when you were a teenager?
3: Well, uh, Vinnie and Freddie, I studied with. But Tony, I used to. Tony used to be on the radio every day at twelve o'clock. So I would run home from school and put the radio on, so I could hear him. And he's is, was has always been one of my favorites all my life.
2: So what yeah, did you pick so, up? Uh, what did you pick up early on from from Vincent and Freddie? What were some of the things that they you, they kind of showed you early on that maybe stuck with you?
3: Well, first of all, Vincent uh, was uh, studying at the Hart School of Music, so he was very advanced uh, musically, and he was studying composing. and In fact, I think I think he won a couple of contests. And, okay, uh, but he he started me out playing. Um, he He well, all the scales and all that stuff, you know, all the boring things, but <laughs> he also brought into the picture Paganini Bach, and he had some Charlie Ventura solos. these are these are jazz things mm-hmm. and uh, the Bob duets by Bugs Bauer. So early on, I started playing that music. I didn't know exactly what I was playing, but i I just learned them because you know they were part of my lessons. But I see they they started to open my my eyes my ears to how how uh, the phrasing went and you know the rhythms of it.
2: Sure. Do you, Do you remember what one of your earlier guitars was? Were you playing uh, an acoustic guitar? Did you have a box back then? What was some of the, what was your first entry? Well, I
3: had like? an ac- I had an acoustic guitar. It's uh, I think it's called the Zenith. It's a co- uh-huh. you know it's just a no cutaway. I saw somebody I saw somebody who had one. Um, when I was at GIT, and it's a beautiful sound, and I'm sorry I ever sold it because it's great. It's a great little acoustic guitar. It's great to hang around the house and play with, you know. But anyway, it's gone.
2: So this was I'm, I'm, this was the fifties. Um, you're in Waterbury, and then I imagine because you know New York City is just ninety minutes away. Once you kind of got some chops under your belt, once maybe you had. And a jazz type guitar, electric acoustic guitar. Were you coming down into New York a lot? Were you trying to check out the music and check out the scene as, oh, a, yeah. as a
3: teenager? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Once I got once I got hooked on jazz, my cousin and I used to go to New York all the time. Now we weren't old enough, you know. Yeah. But cause... what we did is we forged our, um, our our draft cards. Oh really? To make it look oh. like we were older, so we could get into Birdland and all those places, wow. and Blackout. you know. I love that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to go there. I saw everybody play Bud Powell, uh, Johnny Smith, Count Basie and his band, Dizzy. Bird? You know, you've uh, talked about seeing Bird play. Well, well I, saw Bird, I saw Bird at a jazz at the Philharmonic concert, yeah. Wow. So,
2: I just say, New York is so different now. You know, it's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. And how would you describe the city when you were going in there as a kid, say you're 16, 17, whatever it was, what was the city like in in those days?
3: Well, it wasn't as crazy as it is now. You know, we didn't worry about crime and all that stuff that, like you, yeah, like we're worried today. But that that didn't seem to exist over there at the time, and so uh, we didn't we didn't seem to get, be so concerned about all of that. We used to just go in and go into Birdland and go see some people other people play wherever. And uh, you know we were getting our, our fill of jazz because we were just absolutely crazy about it. You know.
2: Did you ever so. approach any of these guys? Did you ever come up and try and say hi to Bud Powell or Dizzy or well, anything like that? Well, you can't talk
3: to. Well, you can't talk to Bud Powell. He don't talk to nobody. Really. Yeah. No. No. He was he just sits at his piano and he, he puts his head down and he don't even tell the bass player what key we're playing in. He don't even tell him to tune. Just he just starts playing, and hopefully you got to jump! Wow, you just jump in uh, and see what happens. You know,
2: that's right, that's right. Okay, so you're soaking up all this stuff, and then you move to Chicago, right? Well, you must have been in your early twenties. Was this around 1960?
3: Well, you're getting yeah, you're getting ahead of yourself a little bit. Oh, so, okay. all right. After after I got. Uh, after after all the New York experiences and all that stuff around, uh, my first gig was on the road when I was about twenty years old. I went to Vegas with man. a show group, and I, I came. Didn't know. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Yeah.
2: You were playing with the now, show group in Vegas. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, tell me about yeah. this. I don't think I've ever heard about this. There's so many years yeah, of knowing well, you and studying with
4: you.
3: Uh, uh, somehow I hooked up with a guy by the name of Murray Shaft, and he had his group. He was out of Philadelphia, and he hired me to go with him on the road. And at first, we did a couple of gigs on the way to Vegas, but then we ended up in Vegas for about a month or so, you know. It was a show, was show business, so you know, and you just play the tunes and jump around a little bit and all that, you know. <laughs> that's what the, How were, that's
0: the, what it, were the were the musicians treated really well in Vegas at that time, Joe? Were you guys, like, tr- by the management those clubs?
3: See, yeah, we were do yeah, they treated us okay because uh, what one thing they did is they fed us after the gig, we used to be able to go and get a corned beef sandwiches, and I look forward to that because they were so good. That's But awesome. yeah, everybody was nice to us, you know. Yeah, I liked it. I didn't know much about it then because everything was so show businessy, you know, there was no jazz as, as far right.
2: as I know. Right, you're just playing the gig, kind of keeping up with yeah. it, making some money, meeting some people, getting some experience yeah, under cool. your belt, you know
3: but that only lasted a month I came back to Connecticut and I was hanging around here or playing around here and doing doing little gigs and whatnot because I played a lot of weddings and stuff like that you know back in the
2: day sure and
3: uh, and um, and then I got hooked up with a group out of New York again uh, this was a show business group it, it, it was almost like a circus group there was uh uh, two guys that danced, uh, a girl. Well, they they used to put on little pantomime things and uh, <laughs> and sing songs. Yeah, it was a crazy thing, man. And I used to have to, the drummer and I used to have to carry everything. Oh, oh.
4: I bet. So, so you know.
3: but the funny part about it, it was like a shirkers group. The two the two guys played something very badly and. It was the, the the female played the bass very badly. <laughs> the, the piano player was excellent, man. He studied with Lenny Tristano. He could really okay. play, but okay. you know he was in the middle of it. He was married to the bass player, and uh, and she had a she had a hold on him, you know, with the show business stuff. Oh yeah,
2: say no more.
3: Listen. So, so we traveled around uh, quite a bit. You know, we went to Canada and all that. Uh, we oh. went way out west. Then we came. We played Vegas, and, um, and then we ended up on uh, one gig in, uh, in Terre Haute, Indiana. You know, this is insane, actually. So we're in Terre Haute, Indiana, and this girl, the girl, I told you, the one with the bass, she always wanted to be an actress. Well, she got a connection in, in, in Hollywood, so she, they disbanded the, disbanded <laughs> the, the, the group. And and they said to me, well, you know, we'll pay your pay your fare at home, and and that's it, you know. So I said, no, I'm not going home. And I, I had a cousin in Chicago. So that's so what I ended up
2: him. the move to Chicago.
3: That's how I got there. Yeah.
4: Oh. Wow. Fascinating. I
3: ended up in Chicago. I got in Chicago with with enough to take a cab to where he was, and that was it. Wow. Nothing in my pocket. I was broke. Wow. This. this but you is, had your guitar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What more do you well, need? I had,
3: uh, well, I had the guitar. Yeah, and I started working right away when I was. In. It didn't take me long, and I found Eddie Harris, and he offered me a record date Exodus to Jazz. You know, so I, I I was very happy. But the thing about Chicago is, it had all these great players, man. It just just yeah. it just enthralled me, man. I, could, I, I, I it just like you're in heaven, man. You yeah. guys were so, so great, man. And I was just soaking
2: it all up. I was in heaven. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, you've talked a lot about yeah. it over the years. Uh, I remember you telling me about when you landed in Chicago. And at this point, just for our listeners, you're in your early 20s at this point, 1960s or so. Oh, right? yeah. I, was, I don't think I was 21. I was
3: about 22. That's about it,
2: yeah. And what guitar were you playing when you got there? Were you playing a 175? Well, I
3: had a little, uh, a little guild. It was like... Okay. Um, a small model. It wasn't a big, fat one. It was like, you know, the one This almost like the kind they played together, almost like a Les Paul size, you know? Okay. So, it was small, but it had a good sound, though, and I sorry, I got rid of that one, too.
2: So you're in Chicago. Anyway. It's this really deep scene. you got cats like Von Freeman, Eddie Harris, who you recorded with. Uh-oh. You also met Sonny Stitt in Chicago, right?
3: Oh, yeah. I was playing with Sonny, yeah.
2: So... One of the things I remember you, you telling me about the Chicago scene is that you guys would have these late-night jam sessions that would go until the early mornings, um, and that was a pretty regular thing, like
3: almost just about every night. Um, well, you see, Chicago stayed open late. I think the gig ended around 4 o'clock. Nice. And then a lot of, a lot of times on the weekends and, and uh, like, on Mondays, they used to go down to this little cl- this club and... Uh, Everybody would hang out, you know, singers, players, everybody. And now, they'd just go on until the sun came up, you know.
2: You know, John and Will and I, were all very familiar with, with the jam sessions. There's, there's good jam sessions in New York. There's good jam sessions in L.A., just about every city. But I remember you yeah. telling me a story about the Chicago scene. And I just want to verify if this is true. You told me a story one time that a cat came in. And he looks at you guys, and he says, I want to play this tune in E-flat. And someone said, no, 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 I don't want to play E-flat. And he, he motioned down to his hip, and he had, a, he had a gun down there. And he said, E-flat, motherfuckers.
4: <laughs> Is that true? <laughs>
3: to tell you the truth, I think that might have been a story from my imagination. But, but, was... <laughs> even, but better, the- even better, even better. But but you know, guys did carry guns around because the, because the club owners were very um very very uptight about paying the musicians a lot of times, and I saw many times when guys musicians would put the gun on the on the bar and say, uh, "Are you going to give me my money?" you know yeah,
2: I guess that's how you had to do it back then, huh? Different than sending in voice. Well, that's the way.
3: It, sometimes you had to do it because the, the the club owners, man, they were just like I don't know what they were. They were they were mean.
0: Yeah, were were we're, we're, were clubs really segregated back then, Joe? Too, or were they pretty integrated in Chicago at that yeah, time? Yeah,
3: no, the, uh, the, no, the, it wasn't like today where where uh, the blacks and the whites don't get along. I mean, everybody got along pretty good, you know. And the, I mean, here I am. Lily White and the Blacks never bothered me, never.
2: Well, that's yeah. Yeah. I mean, that says a lot, and I'm I'm sure it uh, has to do with the respect that you showed them, but also just the way that you could play that guitar. I mean, obviously,
3: I think so. Yeah, that was it. Yeah.
2: So, talk to me a little bit about meeting Eddie Harris. How did that come together?
3: Well, before I tell you about that, I want to okay. tell you about, like, you, you say having the respect of other people. Well, yeah, yeah. I was very lucky because they used to see me play all the time a lot. And, you know, the, the man who used to deal dope and everything, and he was very happy to give me anything I wanted. He liked sure. you not know, playing very much. And he said, What do you want, man? I'll get you anything you want, you know. Well, right. Yeah. So I'm, no, I, I'm okay. I, I'll drink. I'll have a beer or something, but that's about it. Now, Eddie Harris, okay, Eddie Harris was running the jam session. Okay. And uh, that particular night, I hesitated about going to the jam session. Maybe I was a little tired or something, but I said, I better go because i got to get some connections here. So I went to this jam session that Eddie was giving, and uh, okay, I ended up playing some and whatnot. And uh, the thing about it is... um, uh, I mean, I didn't think much of it. I played, I played the jam session. I went home over, forgot about it. Uh, it was no more than a month or so. And he comes looking for me in my hotel room, and he, he says, "Listen, I, now Eddie's direct man. He don't pussyfoot around, you know." Okay, man. He says, "I want to make a recording with you," and he says, uh, "I'm going to give you all the music to learn. I'll be, I'll be back in uh, a week or two, and we'll start." We we'll start running running over the charts, you know, and that was the exodus to jazz. And we start rehearsing a lot, you know, with uh, just me and him, and then the the, the group, the, the rhythm sections.
2: Yeah, the rhythm so section it was was, um, was Willie Pickens and uh, on yeah. piano, uh, William y- Yancey on bass, I believe. Yes,
3: uh, yeah, Bill Bill Yancey on bass and, um, Harold, know, and Harold Harold Jones. Jones Harold yeah,
2: here we go on the drums. Wow! So I mean, this Exodus to Jazz for anyone that doesn't know this record, it's a really classic album. And Joe, you it sound is, yeah. you sound incredible on this album. Um, you think so? Oh yeah! I, I know it's early oh. on for you, but you can hear all the the influence yeah. that you're building and the things you're you're already pulling off and kind of where your trajectory was going. In my opinion, uh, I absolutely think so. Yeah.
3: Well, I'll make a confession. For a long time, I wasn't sure if I played good or bad on it. To be honest with you, you know, I, I was I was doubtful whether I did a good job. You know, I knew I did good on the lines with him because we we were very sympathetic. It was a very uh, close bond between me and Eddie when it came musically. You know, we, we were right on. Oh, I think your soloing well,
2: on the record is beautiful, and your tone is really beautiful, oh, thank you. and it's just great to hear you at this point because you probably would know more than what? Tw- you couldn't have been more than 25 at this point, right?
3: No, no, I wasn't that old. I was 23.
2: Yeah, it's just it's just incredible. Wow. And for people that don't know Excess to Jazz, this was a gold-selling album in
3: 1961. Oh, no, it was a big-selling big album. I think Eddie bought a house on that one.
2: It's just incredible. Yeah. I mean, it was on Billboard's Top 40 That's just pop music in general. For three weeks, you were in the top 40. And then it was on the jazz charts for like six or eight weeks straight. And so this was a really Uh popular record. I think some people even give it a little bit of credit towards sort of bridging that gap between certain certain contemporary styles of jazz and traditional styles of jazz. recorded on this album. It's getting into the 60s in Chicago. You're recording with Sonny Stitt as well. You know, what was yeah. that next three or four years or what was that next five years like, you know, touring with these guys, you know, being a real fixture in the Chicago scene and, and, be, and beginning to get recognized nationally? What were those years like for you?
3: Well, it was very interesting, you know. I mean, I was getting a little bit of a name. I used to read in Downbeat; they would they would mention me on this and that and all that. And uh, of course, I was I was trying to try and make it. And uh, the funny part about it is, I, I screwed up my own career. Actually, I think I would have been a little, done a little better because the people who produced Eddie's album wanted to produce me, but I was so I was so. Unsure myself that I never followed through. Two record companies wanted me.
4: Wow. And
3: uh, I'm, I'm sorry because I never got the opportunity again. In this case, opportunity knocks only once it did for me. And I had two record companies after me, but I, I, I wasn't I wasn't confident enough to go on. Even though I looked back and I was doing quite well, you know, I didn't know it. I just didn't know it.
2: It's a hard thing so, to yes. assess, you know, at that age, too. You were still just in your 20s. And um, I know we've talked a little bit about this before. I just I wanted to just dive into that moment a little bit more. So you have record, record execu- executives from like VJ, which was the album that Exodus was on, the label that Exodus was on. They came to you and asked you to do your own album, right? Like a Joe DiOrio
3: choreo yeah, or, 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 yeah. or something. Yeah. And you just, and you well, just told they asked them. me, they they wanted to talk to me, and I know that's what they were talking about. That's what they were interested in, you know. And at that time, I had no group, and I, I just didn't, I wasn't so good at organizing anything. And, uh, you know, I just didn't have, I hate to say this, man, but I just didn't have the confidence, to be honest with you. I was a small-time hick guy. You know, I come to Chicago the big time, all of a sudden they're throwing record contracts at me. And I and first of all, they're here, they're here don't forget we got, at that time West was a big hit, Kenny Burrell and Tal and all those guys. I said I'm not in this company. You know what am I doing? We want to record? So I kind of neglected it, man, which I could kick my ass for now.
2: I think everything sure. happens for a reason. You know, you've told me that a lot of times as yeah, well. Yeah, I think so.
4: Yeah. yeah.
2: And you know, maybe it gave you the space that you needed to develop your playing into what you. You know, eventually developed it into which is just masterful on so many levels. Could be,
3: you know, I don't know. I did. I for a long time it bothered me because I thought I had a real golden opportunity, and I think I blew it. I know I blew it. But you know, that's, that goes to show you when you don't have confidence in yourself. I, I was too young, man. I just did. I just didn't reach the point where I was that sure of myself.
2: Were there other guitar players that were kind of mentoring you at the time? I know that you knew a little bit of... I know that you knew Wes a little bit around that time because he heard about you. I knew,
3: I knew Wes, you know, and he was one of my big heroes. And, um, oh, my God, I'll tell you... Remind me to tell you the story about please, Wes. Please, Indiana. yeah.
4: Yeah. But
3: the, but the thing about it is um, after I came from Connecticut, that was the end of my my, my studying. I, I just went on my own. I started... I start playing and trying to imitate the guys who I was playing with, and, and I worked hard at it, you know, trying to get better, but I didn't have a teacher, actually, except for the, for the greats, just list Brother Nobles, but the great ones, you know.
2: Well, it's really, you can hear that in your playing, Joe, you know. You can hear that horn-like phrasing in your playing. You must have really been not only influenced from the guys you met in Chicago, but um, like Sonny Stitt and Eddie Harris, but... Um, you know, well, the, the person
3: that influenced me the most was Charlie Parker and Sonny Rollins. Although I never felt that I achieved that that high essence in the the bebop thing, although I'm still trying today, I still study Bird solos like all the ballads because they got so much in them. Oh man! And. Uh, and and I've been listening to Sonny Rollins for the last 50 years or a 100 years. I don't know how long, but he's been yeah. he's one of my main men. And, and, of course, Train and all of them.
2: So, Joe, do you remember when, when I came to study with you in 2001 at SC? I came up to you in the hallway. I said, uh, Mr. DiOrio, I'm so excited I'm going to be studying with you coming up. And you kind of looked at me, and you're like, okay, well... Uh, Transcribe everything off bird with strings, and then come back and see me.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh my God! What a challenge that must have been, man! Oh my
2: I think I, think God. I had like a week or something, and I got, I got the first track, just, uh, just friends down. That's one of the greatest. Oh, that that's a hell
3: of a track! Oh, my God, man. yeah, that's a great one. So yeah, Bird well, I'm obviously. Still, I'm still I'm still working on the Bird stuff, man, because it's got everything in it that I want. I know. You know, I mean, uh, combined with all the stuff that I uh, I kind of came up with myself, the Bird stuff is it, it's got that flow to it, man. Charlie Parker could start any place and end then any and and any place. Yeah. He was just the greatest jazz musician who ever lived, man, maybe one of the greatest musicians who ever lived at any time as far as I'm concerned. I'm studying these souls night and day, man, and I'm seeing things in them, man. I said, this is incredible how this guy got this together. Yeah, it oh, really is. Absolutely. It's just amazing. So he's my biggest hero. He's the one I can get the most out of. It's
2: kind of like when you listen to Bird. It's, it's the analogy I like to use is it's like you're just turning on the faucet, you know, and the and the music and the creativity. Oh, it's just pouring yeah, out of him, completely unfiltered, and it's just he, like you he said. There's nothing. There's no, no roadblocks in his way. It's just pure nothing. improvisation and a beautiful sound, and you know, just the language. There's, there's that we're all an album to, of his
4: that I've
3: been. There's an album I've been listening to now lately. uh... uh I've heard it many times, but I'm re listening to it. It's called Bird at Saint Nick's. Oh yeah. Oh mm-hmm. my God, oh my! He's as free as a bird. I never heard anything like it. Yeah. Oh, and the tech the technique and the tempos, and they're playing the dance, and they're playing fast tempos. That's right. You would yeah. you, you would think they would be playing dance music. They're playing jazz, man. I know. And they're burning. It's the dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ah uh, dance. So and they're playing like a scramble from the apple then but you know, I mean it's up there.
2: Oh yeah. Well, you know, another guy that could burn pretty pretty well, um, kinda of like the next iteration of Bird was Sonny Stitt, who you recorded with.
3: Oh, um, Sonny's the best man. Sonny plays bird better than bird, man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Great. So, what was that like. like?
2: Yeah, what was it like meeting Sonny and getting to know him, recording with him, I and mean, what kind of guy was he? Well, I mean,
3: Well, you know, I got along good with Sonny. I got along. We used to hang out in the back room, you know, and drink some boozer and stuff, and we, he'd tell me about the people he liked and the people he didn't like uh, musically, you know. You know, I, I felt sorry for Sonny because he drank too much, you know, and I think it, it, it changed his personality a little bit with some people. You know, it sure. made him a little bit irritated and. And whatnot, but I I love this music so much, man. I learned so much when I used to play with Sonny. I would go home after the gig, which was quite late, you know, and I would just sit around pre- trying to remember what I heard and try to imitate that that flow and that that feeling, you know. I just spent a lot of time trying to get that down.
2: Yeah, he must have been a huge inspiration. I can just imagine, you know, being on the bandstand with someone like him and then trying to follow their solo after they've just thrown out such complexity, such beautiful melody, it it must have been been amazing.
3: It was amazing, man. It was like one of the greatest experiences of my life to play with somebody that heavy, man. It was the closest thing to Bird, you know, what can I tell you, man. He plays plays jazz band, Um, man, unbelievable. Uh, Well, anyway, I used to run home and try to imitate the ideas and all that stuff because it was, he played a weird, I loved it, you know.
2: So this is, you're still in Chicago and we're getting through the 60s now. Um, And then um, eventually, I think it was around 72, 1972, you moved to Florida to start teaching at University of Miami. Do I have that Correct.
3: Yeah, but before I went there, I went on the road with another show business group. Okay, you know, uh, a friend of mine who was played jazz. His name is Frank Shea. We used to be uh, play music together in Connecticut, and he he was with a group. And he called me. He said they're they're going to form a group, and it's a show business group. You want? I said sure. Why not? Because I wasn't doing so good at the time, so I took the gig, and we traveled all over the place. Uh, the Bahamas, and you know, we did a lot of a lot of gigs, and eventually I left that that group, and I started working with Chad Mitchell, the folk folk. So you didn't know about that one, I don't no, think. I
2: don't think so. No,
3: Chad Mitchell, the folk singer. Okay, that was fun because he he paid me really well, and he paid me when we weren't working, and uh, oh, good. And, and, and yeah, the music wasn't wasn't that hard. I had to play instead of playing finger style, I played it with the pick because I didn't know I didn't know how to play with my fingers then. You know.
4: Right, right, right.
3: But that was that was a good gig. I played with him for a little while. Then I I left him and I went out to Arizona with a guy by the name of Vic Caesar.
4: Okay. And
3: he was he was he was he had a club there. We worked there, and then we went to Vegas. So these show business groups, you know, anything to make some money because I was. You know, it's just the way it was. Well this we... is in Vegas. Finally in Vegas with Vic. We, you know, I got tired of the whole thing. I said, Man, I'll see you later. I jumped in my car and went to Florida. Oh wow. Wow.
1: I just I, like
2: that. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you know, Joe, you're talking to three guys that that definitely had have done uh our share of working gigs and, and kinda continue to and I mean it's I always find it really interesting this, this uh, intersection between the kind of music that you want to play for your art, like in this case it would be jazz, and then the things that you kind of have to do to make money. Sometimes that's not on the same track. Um, and I, I find it interesting that even you were dealing with this back in the 60s after you'd been on oh, yeah, a, a gold selling jazz album. <laughs> well you
3: see, when, when, with that group I was telling you about, this this one I was traveling around with, we passed through a Florida And what clinched it for me is I used to go watch Ira after the gig. Right. And and he just renewed my love in jazz again. And I said to myself, and I was talking to Dolph Casalano, the piano player, and he said, why don't you come back here? we got our own scene, man. And eventually it took me about a year, but I got back there. Well, it sounded like
2: it was an amazing scene. I mean, everything you've told me about, Ira um,
3: you've, oh, yeah. you said
2: that that was some of the highlights of your career playing with him at, at the nights you guys had at the Unitarian Church I believe it was you've talked oh about yeah
3: those were amazing amazing gigs yeah we were just we were everywhere man it was it was it, it's hard to put the finger on what it was because it was everything you know we were in we were out we were melodic we were playing way above our heads I think.
2: Yeah, you and Ira must have been a great fit like that because, well, not only he can play trumpet and saxophone, but you can go yeah, into yeah. the avant-garde, you can go into the straight ahead, you can go into the tradition, and you, have, you both have this incredible sense of melody. It must have just been like a match made in heaven for you guys.
3: Oh, it was, it was.
0: Today's episode of High Action is brought to you by Marchione Guitars. Stephen Marcioni is a luthier based in Houston, Texas. He's been building guitars since 1990. His style is extremely unique. He builds uh, classicals, arch tops, steel strings, solid bodies, and even violins. He's studied uh, makers like Jimmy DeQuisto and John D'Angelico. And his style is both a combination of modern uh, technology and design with old-school tradition in terms of how archtop guitars are built. My 16-inch archtop I purchased in 2017 is incredible. I love playing that guitar. Um, And so if you'd like to hear more recordings of the 16-inch archtop or learn more about Marchione guitars, visit Marchione.com.
2: One of the things we, we talk a lot about in this podcast is, is this idea of collaboration. You know, obviously, John and I, we've been collaborating on this group, New West Guitar, for yeah, over sure. 10 years. And Will's been a big part of that the last five years or so. How oh,
4: beautiful.
2: You know, having a collaboration with somebody is, is really important to us. And it seems like that's something you established with Ira in Miami. Yeah.
3: Well, I always play better when I when I play with my friends. When a person becomes my friend and they're a musician I play better with them. Yeah. If I have to go on a gig so to speak, you know what I mean? I don't know, I do what I have to do, but when I'm close to somebody, um I'm close to somebody I do better.
4: Yeah, it makes all the I, difference. I, can,
3: I, I in- I, intuitively, you know sometimes when Ira and I would be playing, I wanted to play a tune, and I just think about it, and he'd say, You wanna play this tune? that was the tune I was thinking about now that's that's something, isn't it?
2: it is something and and it definitely resonates with me and i am sure with a lot of people who are listening that um that bond you can create with musicians can create something really special, and
3: so you're oh in- once you yeah, once you get a bond with someone that can play, man, you're you oh, know that's heaven.
2: Mm-hmm. So this is the well, time you know, you're, you're in Miami at this time, right? And when did yeah, you start teaching there. at the university? Was that right away when you got there, or was it a few years in?
3: Uh, a couple of years, yeah. And see what ha- what happened was, uh, we were playing in the club, and Stan Getz came in, came in and played wow. with us. Wow! Now, yeah. So he he was coming in every night. So it got around that gets what's setting in so the dean of the university of miami he came in you know and after he after he heard the group and he heard me play he said listen you want a job i said yeah i'll take it and that's how i got that guy i
2: I love how so many of these big opportunities for you at least to this point have come from just people hearing you live on the bandstand. I mean, that's sort of the way it should be. You know, someone comes out, here's what you do, and then they offer you an opportunity, whether it was Eddie Harris or whether it was the dean yeah. of the University of Miami. Um, did you enjoy that teaching job when you started it? Did you, did you
3: feel like Well, you were... it, it, uh, in the beginning, I didn't like it because I was trying to teach too formally. Okay, I was trying to teach the old-fashioned way. Then one day as I was walking to the class, and I, I was very. Uh, I, I didn't like what the way it was going because I didn't. I wasn't teaching my stuff, and I thought to myself, you know, this is the end of this. I'm just going in there, and I'm teaching the guys what I know and the way I play. And then I started doing that for the rest of my life. Because yeah. a lot yeah. of times when I, a lot of times when I teach, I'm never prepared. I just see what the student needs and we go for it. That's all. Yep. Because if I start thinking about if I start thinking about something, preparing something, man, that's that's not being creative, you know. That's just, you know, just bringing some refried beans to the to the yeah. play, you know.
2: Well, you know, Will uh, Will unfortunately never had the chance to study with you in Southern California, but John and I did, and and yeah. so many other guitar players studied with you over the years, and and they all feel that that sense of creativity in your teaching and it results in in an immense amount of inspiration, uh, like lifetimes of inspiration. So that's, I think, what you were able to transfer to people as a teacher. Um, One of your earliest students who I think caught that inspiration from you is Pat Matheny, And and I think you guys met at Miami, University of Miami. So... Could you talk a little bit about meeting him and kind of how you guys bonded right away and you know what it was like?
3: Well, was I was like. telling you about this gig where Getz used to come in, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Well, well it was at that time that that Pat Matheny came for his first year at uh the University of Miami. Okay. And somebody brought him in. And he was a young boy, you know, at this time. I don't think he was even 19. Yeah. And he heard me play and he wasn't he was um he Was impressed, you know, and uh, he said, "Would I help him?" And I said, "Well, sure, if I could, you know." But he didn't really take any lessons from me. He just came and listened to me a lot, and he was able to absorb a lot of it, you know. Wow, I got some. I got some tapes of Pat playing when he was around nine year, 19 years old. Just he and I were doing some duets, you know. Wow. Yeah, and uh, but but he did he did take a lot of stuff. But he changed his style a lot when he got to. Uh, Berkeley and he and he started hooking up with Mick. Yeah, and they. Uh, I think Mick influenced him a lot, but he had, he had a lot of. But Mick, Mick and I were playing one time early on it, and he says to me, "You know, Pat sounds a lot like you." I said, "Well, man, he was right under the, right under my wing for a long time." You know. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think he took a lot from both you guys, as he should.
3: You know? Oh, absolutely. From Jim absolutely, Hall, from yeah. all the greats. You know. I was telling Mick, I said, Mick, why don't we get twenty five percent of all. The- <laughs> oh, there of- you, go. you know. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. He could have fifty. Give us twenty five each, you know.
2: Yeah. He'll still have plenty, I think.
3: You know. <laughs> oh, will be there'll be enough left over for a couple of lifetimes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. oh man. So one other- he's a great player. I, I heard him lately. He's playing really good, man. I love the way he plays, you oh, know. Yeah. I mean, he's... My God, he's got some great stuff. And he's got those weird guitars, and they're tuned different. And let me tell you something, they sound beautiful, man. I'm telling he's beautiful.
2: Oh, my God, yes. yeah.
3: I mean, you know, yeah.
2: we could go on and on about Matheny. He's definitely one of yeah, our he's, heroes as well. He's a, you
3: know? he's a phenomenon, man. You know, he's one of those guys. Yep, Just yep. happen.
2: Can I ask you about yeah. uh, another young musician you met in Miami, uh, Jocko?
3: Oh yeah, Jacko used to call me all the time ask me what I was working on and uh, sometimes they'd go by his apartment and we'd hang out and play a little bit and I was teaching him some of my tunes at one time. I was teaching him one of my tunes that had a very hard uh, passage in it. Tallest Sunshine has got a very strange uh, break on it. Yeah, yeah. I remember that one. And, uh, my God, it took him about two seconds and he got it. Oh, wow. I mean, whoa. Yeah, he's there's a good the album we did with Ira at the Playboy. Uh, what is it, the green, uh, the green Light or The Green Mile or something? I don't know the name of the album.
2: This is Jocko's album or is it an Ira album? Yeah, no
3: it's, Jock, no, it's Jocko's album. That's what I thought. Maybe
2: it's Ira's. Huh? I, the think green, it, wa- I think it was Jocko's. I don't have this album, but I've heard of it.
3: Oh, you've got to get it, man. It's sensational. That's awesome. So,
4: yeah, so
2: Jocko was influenced by you. I mean, there is a little bit of an urban legend. I don't know if this is true or not, but did, did you help him out with Donna Lee on that famous recording just to, to help him figure out the fingerings on the low four strings? And I
3: told him he had to change it. He was having trouble with it. And I told him, you got to change the fingering. That's what your problem is. Wow. That's all I said.
2: Well, I, yeah. it sounded like it was sage advice because uh, he certainly <laughs> nailed that take.
3: Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, were, we went, we went to, I was at his apartment one time and we were, we were playing the tune and he was telling me, I'm having trouble, I'm having trouble. I said, well, oh, play it. And after I saw him play it, I said, well, the problem is you you, 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 need to change the fingering. That's not a comfortable fingering, man. Cause I know I had to change it too several times to be able to get it right. Yeah. So I guess that might've been, that might've helped. I don't know.
2: I've experienced something similar with that where I'll, I'll play a passage, whether it's a bebop head or something else, the same way for years and years. And I'm like, a little part will stumble. I'll always stumble at yeah, a little yeah. part. And then I'll change the fingering. and I'll be like, oh, okay, this works a little bit better. Maybe I'm stretching my fingers on the left hand a little bit more to give... Uh, yeah. To, to play a note in a different place on a different string. That's one of the trickiest yeah, things oh, about yeah, the no, guitar, you know, is, is being able to understand yeah, understand the fingering that works best for the phrasing. It's such a tricky oh, yeah. little thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you're in Miami, you're you're teaching, you're working with Ira, um, but not too long after, I think this is 77, you moved to L.A., right? And so can you talk a little bit about what prompted... That move from going from Miami <clears throat> to L.A.?
3: Economics. Oh, economics. economics. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I didn't have any money. I had to get, a, you know, it was the summertime. The school was out. And I, I was really broke. And my wife, who, who passed away, her name was Norine, he, Yes, She kept telling me, Joe, you got to get out of here. You got to go where there's something happening. This place is dead. I decided to go out to California.
2: Did you know the guys yeah. at GIT, Guitar Institute of Technology? Did you know them? Were
3: they offering you a job, like, right away? Or No, the, a student of mine by the name of Paul Rose. Okay. Uh, I, I talked to Paul when I was out there, and he says, You know, why don't you call... Uh, howard roberts school and get to know these guys and this is before they made this is before g-i-t okay so i called up i called up they said well come on down howard's here tonight he's giving a class so i went down i played and they liked what i played and all that eventually i started uh, howard started said, howard helped me you know what he's he he gave me some some gigs at dick Groves. that was an arranging school and i started yeah. doing things for him and eventually um when they w- decided to do the school they called me said would you be interested in teaching i said yeah i'll take anything man right now it, With mm-hmm. me it's always been a struggle man i see I, I never had the, uh, the spoon in my mouth you know where everything went smooth you know right right i always had to always had to try to work, uh, shit you know it was wasn't pleasant but that's the way it was you know
2: but i think that's part of the the character of your of your artistry though I mean like a, having that struggle having a little bit of that resistance I think it forged yeah, oh, yeah. forged something in your music that uh, comes through that that depth that emotion that you put into every note I think that's all yeah. part of it you know
3: I think you might be, I think you might be right too you you know I, I mean I look back at it now and it made me a stronger man you know yeah. it made me stronger
4: yeah absolutely yeah.
0: Thanks again for joining us for another exciting edition of High Action. We'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, especially those who follow us on Patreon. If you'd like to join us, visit us at www.patreon.com slash group. There you can subscribe monthly to our Patreon page and get exclusive content from today's podcast. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for all the future episodes. Once again, I'm John Story with New West Guitar Group, and thanks for joining us on High Action.